0: hey everybody it's michelle and brandy and this is spooky shit
1: so this week we're going to talk about some lgbtq cold cases and i'm going to start off by talking about venus extravaganza and for my first story i'm going to be talking about tanya
0: moore and tina rodriguez and then I'm going to talk about Howard Efland, And I'm also going to talk about William Newton.
1: Warning, this episode may contain graphic details. Listener discretion is advised.
0: And yeah, this is our four out of fourth uh, Pride episode. I feel like we definitely talk about people in the community all year long, but yeah. <laughs> But this <laughs> is especially... Yeah, this is the special edition (laughs) for June. (laughs) For Pride Month. Yeah. All right, but
1: take it off, Brandy. All right. So Venus Extravaganza was born on May 22nd, 1965 and was an American transgender performer. She came to national attention after her appearance in Jenny's Livingston's nineteen ninety documentary doc, documentary film *Paris Is Burning*, in which her life as a trans woman forms one of the film's several story arcs. Oh, so that's actually pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was like, I wish I I would have watched it beforehand, but I'm sure it's hard
0: to find. Yeah. Like, every single movie and documentary we talk about is, like, so hard to find. It
1: really is. I'm like, Because,
0: yeah. I mean, she's, like, very niche stories lately.
1: True. Venus was born in Jersey City, New Jersey. Her parents were of Italian-American and Puerto Rican descent. She had four brothers. I was like, damn. That's
0: a lot of kids. That's a lot. <laughs> Five. I mean, that's how much my mom had. My dad had seven. <laughs> oh
1: shit. <laughs> Including the five of you though, right? Yeah. Yeah. As far as we know. Or is that seven on top of the five? I know. It's just cool twelve. <laughs> Sheesh. Um, she had chosen the name Venus in her early teens. Actually, I actually like know. the name Venus. Yeah, it's pretty unique.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Venus Extravaganza states in Paris is Burning that she began cross-dressing and performing at the age of thirteen or fourteen. Um. Eventually, Wait. her fam- family caught on to her lifestyle, and because she didn't want to embarrass them, she moved away.
0: Which was her like... performing like sexual when she was thirteen? No.
1: Oh, thank God! I was like, oh no. No, yeah, I'll. She basically, I'll. I'll get there. You'll get to it. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. She moved to New York City in order to be able to perform freely, at balls. Oh, cool. Yeah. So her ball career began in 1983 when the House of Extravaganza founder Hector Vaez invited her to join the house. And I think I've actually of you, heard of her name. <laughs> Extravaganza? Or Venus? It's
0: sounding familiar now as you're talking like the House of Extravaganza and stuff. I'm like, I think I've heard of Venus.
1: <laughs> you might have. The House of Extravaganza. Um, They actually talk about it. I've, have you seen the show Pose on Netflix? I haven't, but I've been meaning to. I heard it was so good. Yes, it is really good. <laughs> I think everyone should watch it. it okay, I'll watch it's it. It's very it's very good it made me cry a bunch of times but like it was really good
0: i always saw like Kaylani tweeting about it and i love Kaylani, so i was like oh okay i should watch it
1: <laughs> no it really is really good <laughs> i just want to talk about a little bit about ballroom culture for those who don't know yeah um it's basically they also call it like a drag ball it has many names um, but okay. it's basically where people walk for trophies, prizes, and glory at events. And it may include a mix of performance, dance, lip singing, and modeling. Oh, cool. And then a house is basically like the different teams, but they're more like family. Oh, that's so cool. Well, I mean, I'm not. I had I'm pretty like a sure... general idea. Yeah. <laughs> Um. Well, like in the in the show Pose, I know I'm not sure how accurate it is, but I'm pretty sure it's pretty accurate because, like, the writers and stuff are actually like from the LGBT community. But yeah, from it's the not show, of, like cishet people. <laughs> yeah, but from the show, like <laughs> I know houses like they have like a what do they call them? Like a house mother, and they have. Some of them have oh. house fathers and like they literally like take in these like young kids that are usually like thrown out and stuff and they basically like provide them with like, oh, like basically they be- they become like their family.
0: Yeah. I was going to say they become like a chosen, like their chosen family. And then they yeah. also do performance stuff, kind of.
1: Uh huh. Okay, cool. That's cute. Well, at least that's what I learned from Pose. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that is what the <laughs> TV show taught you. Yeah. I mean, it's a really good show. Check it out. You don't need to watch that. But yeah, she joined the house and stated that uh, Hector was the first gay man she ever met. <laughs> Whoa. I mean, she was young. She was like 14, maybe 14, 15. Oh, yeah. And back then, too, like... People weren't out. <laughs> yeah, true. Whoa. Um on her fifteenth birthday, Hector actually took her to Greenwich Village, threw her a party, and bought her a cake. So like Oh. Like they actually like treated her well. Yeah. Um, after Hector died from AIDS related complications in nineteen eighty five, Angie Extravaganza assumed the role of house mother and she took on Venus as her mentee and drag daughter. Oh my gosh.
0: <laughs> I'm so sad that he died of like AIDS related stuff. That's,
1: that's actually a big thing. Yeah. Like huge.
0: I know. Uh, I really want to talk about the AIDS epidemic at some point, but it would have been you good should. this month, but I didn't think about it. So many people died. Like dead ass. Actually imposed Like they talk about it. Really? Yeah, I've mm-hmm. heard, like, in documentaries, not even about that, but people be like, if you were, like, out as gay, or, like, people knew you knew gay people in, like, the 80s, you know somebody who died of it. And I was like, oh, my God. Probably. We'll definitely talk about it sometime.
1: Yeah, But, yeah, at the time of the filming of Paris is Burning, Venus was an aspiring model. She said, I guess, while well, they were, like, filming her she said i want to i want my sex change to make i want a sex change to make myself feel complete okay i'm just like wow
0: so did she was that what she was like working for like trying to get money for
1: uh, yeah it was one what of her gender
0: reaffirm what's that surgery called gender affirmation surgery
1: Gender of. Aff- I know there's. I've, I've, yeah, a- it's like. Affir- affirming.
0: Something! <laughs> I'm looking at what she looked like. Oh, she's pretty. Oh, dang. She's like all dressed up, too. Mm-hmm. Fancy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm impressed. Look, these costumes are sick. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, But yeah, on Christmas Day in 1988, Venus Extravaganza was found strangled under a bed at the Duchess Hotel in New York. Holy shit. Yep, that escalated quickly, sorry. (laughs) Yeah, it sure did. (laughs) Uh, It was estimated that her body had been there for four days upon discovery. How
0: does that go undiscovered for four days? Did housekeeping not ever...
1: I don't. I have no idea, uh, or yeah, maybe yeah. like they had the room for four days and they went in yeah. on the fourth day. That's true. I don't know. I think that's why hotels now there is no like under the bed now, at some of them.
0: Yeah, true. I thought it was just to make it easier to clean, but I guess it could be because shady I mean, reasons. It,
1: it could be both.
0: <laughs> yeah. Why not? Why not both? <laughs>
1: Easier than cleaning out dead bodies from under the bed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the shooting for the Paris is Burning documentary was still ongoing, like when she was murdered. And the film's final minutes include Angie reacting to her death. Angie said she felt that Venus was one to take too many chances, that she was too wild with people in the streets. And Mm -hmm. that she feared something was going to happen to her.
0: Is it kind of fucked up that they kept her reaction to finding out? I don't know. That just seems so real.
1: <laughs> I don't know. She probably agreed to it. I mean, hopefully. I don't think it was like that literal reaction. Like, oh, okay. I was it like, it was just kind of like, like it happened and then she talked about it. Got it. I was or at like, least that's, that's what I'm assuming. Up. Uh, yeah, that's they what see, I'm
0: assuming. They see cops walking
1: up and they're like, get the camera. <laughs> I was like, that's kind of brutal. But yeah, Angie was actually the first person detectives approached with the news of Venus's death. And it was oh. she who broke the news to um, Venus's like family.
0: Oh my gosh. Um, that's such a tough
1: position to be put into. Yeah. Whew. Well, especially because the way it sounds, her family... Like was okay with it. I don't think they were like super supportive, but they were okay with it, and they still talked.
0: Yeah, they didn't like kick her out. She chose to leave. Yeah, she chose to yeah. leave.
1: Just didn't want to like embarrass her family and
0: stuff. Oh, she she probably felt so bad telling them because she like took on the role of being like her mother and stuff. You know?
1: Yeah, like she basically was Fuck. her mother. And like on, so on Wikipedia, they actually says that Angie broke the news to venus's biological parents i was like Not like oh, she shit. was their
0: adopted
1: her adopted <laughs> mother
0: <laughs> i was like i mean yeah
1: she was like a kid yeah she was she was. i actually meant to do the math but i forgot to now you just reminded me of how old she was yeah, how, how old was she let me see she was so cute oh my god
0: i'm looking at pictures of her oh she was 23 Oh, I literally... Holy shit. It's not your age, Brandy? Uh, yeah. Oh, that's not fun. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> yeah, well... I Imagine mean, that.
1: Sad <laughs> truth right there. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's a little baby. Oh. Damn. In Paris is Burning, Venus describes a time she narrowly... Escaped an attack by a man who discovered she was transgender during an intimate encounter, and it oh is possible God. her murder occurred during a similar situation. Oh fuck! Well, just because like she had talked about that, like a time, and so they like, kind of just assume it could have happened. probably happened but again. Get away! Holy shit, dude! Um, but yeah, her killer was never found. Nothing ever came of. I mean, there wasn't much of an investigation. Um, Yeah. She is buried at the Holy Cross Cemetery in North Arlington, New Jersey. Oh, Yeah. But I did want to mention that the House of Extravaganza remains active in the ball circuit, nightlife, and LGBTQ activism. And it is one of the oldest active houses in New York City. Wow, that's cool yeah and I in think the I've show i've heard of it yeah in the show pose that like act- that's actually one of the houses really yeah <laughs> is pose like current day no it's dated back in i forgot but it's do like... they have venus on
0: it like do they have a character playing venus
1: i don't believe so
0: Okay, it's probably not like nonfiction. So,
1: <laughs> I mean, I know there's like truth behind it, but I don't know if they're using like real people's names and stuff like that or oh, stories. True, or maybe real stories. I don't have but to check it out.
0: Okay, but they like change small details, probably. Probably, but I know I. It's a big house. Hmm. I I think I've definitely heard of it too. I didn't really know what it was. But I didn't really um, hear anything about, like, ballrooms until, like, last year. <laughs> Damn. I did not know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so I'm still I learning. <laughs> mean, I know a bit about them because we still so watch uh, RuPaul's Drag Race.
0: Oh, yeah. I yeah. yeah, I know about, like, drag shows, but I didn't know that like, there was, mall? like, other variations, kind of. Yeah. Uh, yeah interesting actually in that
1: in that that show rupaul's drag race a Uh lot of contestants contestants and judges frequently like pull lines from the paris is burning like film really okay i need to watch this this actually sounds so interesting
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh i also wanted to ask was she she wasn't a sex worker she like was just hooking up with people whenever she was attacked that one time
1: yeah yeah from okay. what i know she wasn't doing anything like that it was just wrong person she hooked up with mm-hmm. fuck that's scary man
0: so for my first story i'm gonna be talking about the murders of tanya moore and tina rodriguez Ta- i did not even know how to casually include this but tanya and tina were friends and they were both trans women so their story is intertwined Tanya was born in Germantown, Pennsylvania. She was estranged from her family, but a friend of hers said that Tanya was clean cut and went to church, but that she was also boy crazy. (laughs) She was a sex worker and over the course of 13 years had over 20 arrests for sex work in Pennsylvania. Her friend said how she was always getting bailed out of jail for like that and other charges. And she stood at six foot one and was around 190 pounds, and I am pretty sure she was black. That is like all I found out on Tanya. Yeah. Not a lot of information on this case, unfortunately. Damn. As for Tina, she was born in Puerto Rico, but grew up in Camden, New Jersey, where she had moved as a young child. As an adult, she stood at just five foot six and weighed 120 pounds, so she was like pretty tiny, and she was definitely the smaller of the two women. Like Tanya, Tina was also a sex worker. She had over 50 sex work arrests made in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and New York, and her mom would frequently have to go to Philly to bail her out of jail. She tried to keep her out of trouble and get her to stay home, but Tina did not want to stay. I'm not sure if she was out as trans to her family, but her half-brother later said that the family knew she was gay, which I guess it's a step in the right direction to <laughs> acknowledging that she was a girl. But uh, Tina hadn't been to her family home in the six months leading up to her murder. And the two of them both worked as sex workers in the Philly City- Center City area, and they lived together as well. And they were roommates. <laughs> have you seen that in Vine or whatever? Yeah, I have. <laughs> and they were roommates. Between 1.30 and 3.30 in the morning on June 30th, 1986, Tanya and Tina had been hanging out with some other trans sex workers, all just, like, talking and waiting for some clients to come and pick them up. While they were all hanging out, suddenly a light-colored, medium-sized van pulled up. There were two men inside, and they both appeared to be white in between the ages of 25 and 35. The man driving had curly dark hair and a mustache, while the second man was blonde and clean-shaven. So they actually pulled up to Tina, who jumped right in before popping out of the window and shouting out to the other woman, anybody want to come party? The money's good. (laughs) She was ready to go. (laughs) Uh, All the women like went and like crowded around the van because they were all like, all right, down. And a friend later said that the men appeared to be nervous. Both were sweating, almost as if they had never picked up a prostitute or a trans prostitute before. After checking out all the women, they picked out Tanya, who joined Tina in the back seat. This is the last time the two friends were seen alive. Damn. Yeah. I can't imagine how the other women felt, too, being like, oh my god, what if they'd picked me, you know?
1: Yeah.
0: Holy shit. That's rough. It's so scary. They probably have survivor's guilt. At 12.31 a.m. on July 3rd, 1986 police and firefighters were called to put out a brush fire along a busy road. Maybe. I've also read some stories saying that it was like at a diamond on a baseball field. These are such different things. I don't know why (laughs) these are the two options, but they are. But while on the scene, they discovered the dismembered bodies of two unidentified people. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Their hands were tied behind their backs. Their legs had been sawed off just above the knees and they were both sexually mutilated before the killer stuffed their bodies into green plastic garbage bags, put those in cardboard boxes, and set them on fire with gasoline. Damn. It's like, brutal, 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 dude. It appeared that the bodies had been burning for around 20 minutes when they were extinguished and were burned past the point of recognition. The first detective on the scene wasn't able to find much evidence, What they did find, though, was that the fire had likely been started by a burned cigarette and a matchbox that were left at the scene of the crime. Unfortunately, as it was not common practice back in the day, the cigarette butt was not kept to later use as a potential source of DNA. Also on the scene was a soda can that contained lighter fluid and an empty box of cigarettes that unfortunately did not have any viable prints on it. Autopsy reports later showed that Tanya had been shot in the face while Tina had been suffocated and both of them had also been severely beaten. Soon after the bodies were found, fingerprints taken from them were able to be matched to prison records, confirming them to belonging to 31-year-old Tanya Moore and 27-year-old Tina Rodriguez. Neither of them had been reporting between when they were last seen and the days that their bodies were found. And I'm going to describe the process of how exactly they did the fingerprints, because I thought it was fucking nutty so according to what i read it's also gruesome i'm sorry according to what i read they first had to saw the hands off of the women i don't know why that feels unnecessary right uh yeah yeah. they applied a mixture of chemicals to like soften the skin and restore the ridges of their fingerprints and once this step was done they were able to actually take their fingerprints off of the burned bodies and then they spent several days tediously going through and comparing the prints to those of prison prison records, which ultimately led to them being identified.
1: That's wild. I thought that was
0: I know, it's fucking crazy. Why well, saw them, you know? I don't understand that part. No thanks. Uh, I'm not sure why, like maybe it was taking longer for the other one, but Tina was publicly identified first and after this identification police began to receive calls from people saying that they didn't want to be involved but they had either known one or both of the women and believed that the second body belonged to tanya and of course soon after this was confirmed to be true so per usual media and police were once again dead naming and referring to tanya and tina as he him pronouns and uh, that was super annoying like literally in the articles they'd be like oh two men were murdered then three three paragraphs later be like they also went by the names tanya and tina and said that they're women and said that they were she her and all this shit and i was like but you but what why not just say that at the beginning i don't understand that's <laughs> so stupid they're like they went by these names but they were men <laughs> like no that's not how that works The police chief, when speaking about the case, said himself, when men played the role of prostitutes, there can be violence. They may have tried to rip off the wrong guy. That's certainly one scenario. And I don't know if I'm just overthinking, but I thought that sounded like pretty fucked up and kind of victim blamey. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It did. Because I was like, am I just being too sensitive? I was like, that seems really fucked up. No. And it's fucked up. Yeah. And also saying like they were trying to rip off someone. I'm like. No, that's, I think it's just because it reminds me of the whole argument that trans people were, like, tricking others that they're having sex with. And I was like, that just sounds, like, fucking ignorant. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so those are the kind of people that were investigating the murders.
1: Mm.
0: So there we have it. There were also some suspicions that the two women had purposely been lured by their killers. But to me, I was like, well, yeah, no shit. They thought they were going to get paid. So they went it's not even like a theory to me i'm like yeah it happened (laughs) so of course this is still an open case and no one has ever been charged for the murders but while researching i ended up on a website something about trans lives matters i don't remember exactly what's called but they discussed the case and said that the two women were murdered by a man named donald jennings According to this website, Donald Jennings was a Center Center City cab driver who was arrested in December in Brooklyn on unrelated robbery charges and was later identified as a suspect in the murders of the two women. But this article said it's unknown if he was ever actually charged. Take all that with a huge grain of salt because this is like the only website I saw acknowledging this guy. And I was like Googling him. I even Googled his name along with killer after. And it just led to a different Donald Jennings who had killed somebody else like years later. (laughs) So, no idea. It was weird. They said it so confidently. They're like, yes, and they were killed by this man. And I'm like, who the fuck is Donald Jennings? (laughs) Where did that come from? (laughs) Uh, Another source I found tells a completely different story. That the two were actually picked up and killed by members of the Warlock Biker Gang. According to a witness who came forward in 1999, the two women had actually gone along with two men who belonged to this gang. They took Tanya and Tina to the basement of an electronics store in Center City, which was owned by one of the killer's parents, and they were basically going to party and hook up, you know? So once in the basement and before beginning to have sex, both victims took a small amount of cocaine offered to them and then began to perform sexual acts. While performing these sexual acts, the killer noticed that Tanya had a penis and was so angry that he pulled out a gun and shot her in the
1: face. Hmm.
0: Hmm. Is right.
1: Transpanic defense.
0: <laughs> Bro. <laughs> but just wait. Uh the bullet went through her left eye and lodged in the back of her skull, but Tanya did not immediately die, so the killer then continued to beat her to death.
1: No. Hmm.
0: Meanwhile, he told an accomplice to hold down Tina as he thought she may also be trans and wanted to check. Upon discovering that she also was a trans woman, the killer tried to smother Tina, but suspected that she may have just been playing dead or maybe gone unconscious as she was then beaten all the way to death. Remember, this is all according to somebody's witness statement. Mm hmm. After killing both of the women, the killer then attempted to put the bodies in boxes, but found that they were too tall. So that's when they decided to saw off their legs above the knee so they would fit in the box. So scary. The remains of Tanya and Tina sat in the box in the back of a van for three days until the decomposition became like too nasty smelling basically for the killer. And they went along with accomplices, dumped them, and set them on fire. Well, to me personally, this all sounds like it could be plausible. I only read it on a couple of sources, and I think one of them was like a blog post too, so I don't know. According to the main website that I was reading about it, the witness who told police this story was originally spoken to because he was a witness to another murder in upstate Pennsylvania. While he was being questioned in relation to this other case, he told investigators that if he were granted immunity in that case, that he would divulge more details on the murders of Tina and Tanya. I'm not sure if this witness himself was actually the man who killed them or not, but regardless, it said that an agreement was signed, and in return, police were barred from charging or questioning the person who they believe may be the true murderer. So, hence why I never said this person's name, I just said the killer, because we do not know their name. Um, What we do know is that, according to this source at least, they do think that the killer was the leader of the Warlock Biker Gang, who ended up being charged in prison for the other murder that was unrelated. So, unfortunately, if this is true and they were unable to interrogate the killer, then their cases will never be officially closed. But, on the slightly brighter side, it means that their killer is in prison, at least. True. But still sad. It's fucking devastating, if that's it. Because you'll just never be able to close it. So sad. Um, yeah, that is my story on Tina and Tanya.
1: Damn. Happy Pride! <laughs> 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 Alright, so now my, to, my, to my sake, a story uh, of Howard Efland. I think that's how you say it, Efland. Sounds confident enough to me. <laughs> um, but yeah, Howard Efland was a gay man that died in the hands of the. LAPD on March 9th, 1969 at the Dover Hotel. Wait, what? Uh Uh-huh. I'll get there. Okay. So, the Dover Hotel was a five-story brick building in downtown Los Angeles. The hotel operated as an early version of the soon-to-become-popular bathhouse scene, which was basically... (laughs) Uh, gay men checked in, removed their clothing and laid in their beds with the doors like cracked. Basically inviting whoever and just wait. Oh. Wait for someone to walk by in hopes of like meeting someone.
0: Like, or, like hooking, up. hooking up
1: with someone. I mentioned bath uh
0: bathhouses my next one and I thought it was more like going to bathhouses and hooking up there not like this. <laughs> my bad I mean I don't know I mean mine could have been different I guess but
1: yeah yours was specifically a hotel like that hotel rooms Yeah. yeah whoa the Dover Hotel not surprisingly was also the scene of a number of raids by the LAPD's Vice Squad and was known to them as an easy bust for the F word that I don't want to say. Oh, <gasps> oh my gosh! Yep, ew, mm-hmm. gross. But during a raid by the Vice Squad on March 9th nineteen sixty nine, just four months shy of the Stonewall riots in New York City, I was like, "What the? Hey. Fuck? <laughs> um, Howard F. Elflin." Was a nurse who checked in to the hotel under the name J. McCann. Um, By the end of the day, Elfland would be brutally beaten outside the hotel by police in front of numerous (gasps) witnesses. What? Mm -hmm. You're not going to like this
0: story. I'm so confused how this is going to be a cold case when this sounds not like it should be a cold case. Yeah. I, yeah, I also feel like
1: I'm not gonna like this story. <laughs> <laughs> um, LA vice officers Lumuel Chauncey and Richard Halligan claimed that Howard groped them, so they arrested him, dragged him naked, bleeding, and screaming down a flight of stairs by his feet into the street. <gasps> what the fuck? Mm hmm. <gasps> god um in front of several witnesses the two police officers who were well over 62 started beating howard and howard he wasn't i want to say he was tiny he was like just slightly mm-hmm. like built um but Aww. he was unarmed and was not like resisting
0: he was literally
1: naked like yeah, yeah. Can't really get more vulnerable than that. I don't know how you see the naked man as a threat, but okay.
0: Maybe I know, especially if he's, he's
1: handcuffed. Was... I'm like, what? Yeah. Um. But yeah, they proceeded to beat him to death while he screamed, help <clears> me, <throat> my god, someone help me. Oh my god. no one helped him no people watched I mean, it happen i feel like how can you cuz if you no cuz they're the police in, like yeah you probably would have also gotten killed or hurt at least or arrested oh my god um but yeah the two officers kept kicked him repeatedly and did like knee drops onto his stomach what the fuck Brandy? I'm sorry. Uh, but yeah, they savagely beat him. Uh Several witnesses. And then they went to jail, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> 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 several witnesses claimed that Howard Eflin died at the scene, but officers Chan- Chauncey and Halligan stated that Howard was alive as they threw him into the back of the police wagon. They claimed that halfway down the station from where they had arrested him, that Howard kicked the door open and fell out onto the Hollywood freeway. <gasps> Basically huh? trying to cover their ass for all the fucking bruises he probably had. And injuries. But like, there's a hella stupid witnesses. Cover-up idea
0: when all these people witnessed it.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, morons it, just, it gets worse so the oh, admissions God. officer who was on duty at the county general hospital testified at the coroner's inc request that when they had received Howard they tried they tied him down to the bed he, and he was in really bad shape um I still don't understand dead. how the fuck this next part happened like it doesn't make sense to me but mm-hmm. The nurse testified that she went into another room with the cop because um, the guy had bit in his finger, so she was basically attending to him. Um, Mm -hmm. But, like, literally this next part, I'm like, how the fuck? It It just sounds so bizarre and, like, I don't know, like, made up almost. But basically, 45 minutes later, she was still working on the cop when another nurse supposedly came by and said, Hey, the guy in the other room has died.
0: Uh, How? Was no one in there with him? That's right. It doesn't make any sense. She's just sitting there watching him? Why was she fixing his finger for 45 minutes when he just got bit?
1: I don't. have, I have a lot of questions for this nurse. I don't have <laughs> answers, but um, the, what the LAPD. Fuck? It just gets worse, bro. The LAPD oh, first informed Howard's parents that their son had merely died of a heart attack. Maybe a heart
0: attack after being severely beaten.
1: Yeah. Um, he was only shit. thirty-seven.
0: He's so young. Hmm.
1: sad oh my god later the la county coroner ruled howard's death death and excusable homicide
0: is there such a thing as an excusable homicide i don't even know how the fuck that doesn't even make sense the words are like contradicting
1: themselves <laughs> right
0: Ex- excusable, excusable homicide. Homicide. homicide i'm like they don't they don't go together.
1: <laughs> but yeah, the story was withheld from the mainstream media. Like they didn't want it to get out basically. Oh my gosh. Um that was until Oh, I forgot their name. The once great gay newspaper, the advocate, picked up the story and responded strongly. Oh. Calling wow. the LAPD psychotics. Cause they are. Mm-hmm. I agree. At least they were. Now nah, they are.
0: <laughs> I know. I'm like, uh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> have you not heard of the other stories? <laughs> no, I've heard of plenty. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, the Reverend Troy Perry, founder of the Metropolitan Community Church, um, actually led 120 marches in a rally to the site of the Dover to come. Commemorate Caromerate? Commemorate 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 To commemorate Howard's fatal beating and murder. Wow, I um, like that a church did that. Right? And just like kinda what he said. That's really
0: nice to hear.
1: Um there's basically like yeah. his quote right here. I had told my congregation over and over that our church was built on a three pronged gospel the gospel of christian salvation the gospel of christian community and the gospel of christian social action absolutely christian social action we are meant to go out and bring deliverance to people so i told them i want you to come and march with me
0: oh so, i love that preach it we we love an open minded christian here <laughs>
1: Um, but yeah, no one was ever held accountable for the murder of Howard Elflin. Tell me how this is a cold case when we know exactly who killed him. Um, because it's, I guess it's still, it's cold because nothing's being done. Um. Inexcusable homicide, they said. Yep. Whatever that
0: means. I want to punch their dumb faces. The <laughs> fuck is that even mean?
1: I don't know. But uh <sighs> this uh back to stonewall dot com has attempted to call the LAPD numerous times in the hopes of getting an apology for Howard Elflin's surviving family, but there has never been an official response.
0: Dang, they didn't even try to own up to it like twenty years later or anything. Uh uh-huh, nope.
1: Fucking
0: um you know what? It just gets worse. How
1: does this keep getting worse, Brandy? <laughs> what it's, else is gonna happen? They killed his family too. <laughs> okay. Well I I wrote this later in my story because I found it out in another article. But basically okay. these vice officers were like in plain clothes and they would go and basically like try to see what you're doing and have so they can like basically get evidence to be able to arrest you. So, in the case of, like, Howard's, um, supposedly, the officer, one of the officers had walked in to room, it was room 220, they were on the second floor, um, Yeah, to where he saw this Mexican male on the bed, and then Howard, Mm -hmm. like, came out of the bathroom or something, and then they started to, like, proposition him or something like that, and then that's when they... Arrested yeah. Howard, but they only arrested Howard and not the other that we didn't know who what his name was yet. Why? I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense, but so they left with Howard and they arrested Howard. and then um, it wasn't until an other officer actually ended up walking into the room and arresting and identified. The Mexican male as Sanchez Garcia. Um, he was mm-hmm. arrested for like drugs. He was like doing drugs or some shit. He like offered you it know, like, to the have officer. To find something to put on the yeah. Form. I was like I don't know. Um, probably not. But yeah, the arresting officer testified that Sanchez had been uh, pleasing himself and propositioned him. The officer, which led to his arrest.
0: Oh. Was this after he got ar-
1: the other guy got arrested? Yeah, like literally like not that long after.
0: He's like, "Oh, sorry you got arrested. I'm going to go jack off now." <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. What a guy. <laughs> it just never it just doesn't make sense because like they never called him as a witness in the case of like Howard's like oh. Howard's case. Yeah, it just what like it doesn't make any sense, and also like uh oh, I lost my train of thought.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, it it's really weird because they like never even really spoke to him to try and be on like Howard's side, really. Yeah, it basically like, it
1: just sounds like they try to cover it up.
0: Yeah. Because that also doesn't explain when did they start beating him up. When were they like dragging him down the stairs. Yeah. How did that shit all happen?
1: I don't know. Well let's see. Like I have another article. And it says that he was basically arrested at approximately 1245. And shortly after is when the other officer... Like, they, like, they saw the dude, but they didn't, the Mexican dude, but they didn't, like, arrest him or anything. They just saw him. I wonder why they didn't arrest him, though. I don't know. It doesn't make sense. Because he didn't get arrested. It was actually way later. It was at 3.50 a.m.
0: Oh, that's hours. That's, like, three hours later. So, it kind of sounds like... Maybe they weren't. He wasn't even actually like in that room or something.
1: Maybe I don't know. It just doesn't make sense.
0: I don't even. I don't even know what would make sense in this situation.
1: (laughs) It's all fucking weird. I don't know, but the cops were definitely like lying a lot. They were like, "Oh "Oh, yeah, we we, like beat him up and arrested, or like, we're violent with him because he like hit us and was." Running away, trying to flee. I would probably also try to flee if someone was trying to beat me to death. Yeah, just gonna put that out there. Doesn't make sense, or the fact that they said that he fucking fell out of the police wagon. I'm wondering, does
0: that? Do you think that they actually like left the door open so he would fall out, or do you think that he just didn't fall at all? I feel like that seems like something that. People on the freeway could like corroborate or not.
1: <laughs> yeah, I feel like if they if that did happen, it would have they would have left the door door open. That's like terrifying to imagine leaving the door open on purpose so someone will fall out like that. It's just it's crazy, but it's been this whole
0: story's crazy.
1: It's been fifty two years. Oh my god. Yep. Um. And actually, one of his nephews, Stephen Elflint, um, just he's been like an advocate about getting justice for his uncle.
0: Oh,
1: um, actually, I have this little quote from him. Okay. Um, Uncle Howie was a gentle, kind, and loving man. He was my only uncle, as if we are, we were, and still are a very small family. I want full disclosure from the LAPD, an apology, and more. I ask that we all remember Howard Elflin and give thanks to him and others who sacrificed their lives for the unfinished gains made today. Oh, man. That's so sad. Yeah. Like, he called him Uncle Howie, like, I, that
0: part is really made me like, oh no, <laughs>
1: <laughs> Jesus! But yeah, I mean, still cold, ain't nothing happening, nothing moving. It's
0: so frustrating that it could technically be a cold case, and we know exactly who did it, right? That's just so bizarre. <sighs> All right, should I move on to my second one? Yeah. Okay. So, William Billy, he went by Billy Newton, was a white gay man born on July 26th, 1965 in, I'm going to butcher this, Eau Claire, maybe, Wisconsin. It's spelled E-A-U Claire. I'll say Ooh. Mm, Eau Claire, Wisconsin. ask me, bro. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I'm like, Brandy, you would know this French name, right?
1: Well, Definitely. Yeah,
0: so he grew up in this town until 1979 when he moved to Ladysmith, Wisconsin, and then he moved again one year later with his mom to Oklahoma City, and this was right after he'd finished his freshman year of high school. His father described Billy as a very intelligent young man, but also said that he was restless in trying to find himself. Maybe while in the process of trying to figure out who he really was, William left his home at the age of 16 to go and travel around the U.S. At some point, he lived in Oklahoma with his partner and earned his beautician license, but in 1985, he had left Oklahoma and this relationship and settled down in Los Angeles. He began working for a company that made music videos, where he did makeup and choreography, and where he also went on to... And while here, he also went on to receive his GED from the L.A. Unified School District a few years later. At some point while living in Orange County, William i I'm supposed to be calling him Billy now. Huh. Also, also just a heads up, I'm probably going to be switching between calling him William and Billy because I didn't realize he was called Billy until after I finished my notes, and I'm sure I missed some parts. (laughs) So, at some point while living in Orange County, Billy began to work at the Hollywood Spa, which was a gay bathhouse in L.A. While working there, he met an adult film producer by the name of David Ray, who later went on to help Billy establish roles in several gay erotic films. By 1987, Billy and David had become lovers, and together they established London Ray Productions, where Billy worked as a movie producer, makeup artist, and set designer under the name Bill E. London, or Billy London. Billy liked to write poetry and do illustrations. Despite his job as an adult film star, his friends described him as somebody who saw themselves as a poet and an artist, saying that he only did erotic films for economic reasons. A.K.A. money. <laughs> Same. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. I mean, any job I'll ever have, I'll be like, this is not what I want to do, probably. <laughs> it's just I'm just here for the money. Right. Dang. Sad life. (laughs) In October of 1990, Billy had just recently finished up shooting a film called The Grips of Passion, and on the 29th was seen at Rage Nightclub in West Hollywood, which was known as being the gay epicenter of LA at the time. The next morning, a transient found Billy's dismembered body in a dumpster near Santa Monica Boulevard. His head and feet had been placed in plastic bags, and the rest of his body still has never been found. The LAPD detective in charge of the case spoke of the murder saying, we have several leads we're working on, but nothing that is solved yet. We have other information we're not at liberty to give out. And that's all they had to say about the case for 15 years. Sheesh. Yeah. Also, this case has been referred to as like the gay Black Dahlia case and like one of the most gruesome cases in Hollywood. Because it's like disturbing, dude. (laughs) Yeah. So in 2015, another detective announced that she was reopening Billy's case as she hoped that advances in crime scene technology could help them finally find the killer. On the 15th anniversary of his murder, she revisited the crime scene along with a reporter. Despite this seeming like a step in the right direction, by December of the next year, the media was reached out to by Billy's father, who told them that the LAPD had notified him that Billy's case was being put on the back burner again. He, like many people in the gay community believed that the case was not being investigated properly because the victim was a gay man. And in 2011, Billy's dad passed away, never finding out what actually happened to his son. hmm I know. Uh, right before the 30th anniversary of Billy's murder last year in 2020, a podcast named TDPS Presents Christopher and Eric did an episode about Billy and established an email address dedicated to collecting tips related to the unsolved murder. Eleven episodes after this, they revealed that they had been contacted by a potential eyewitness who said that they were one of the last people to see Billy alive at the club. And that night, according to this witness, he had left the nightclub with a man who looked strikingly similar to serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer.
1: Oh, shit.
0: You cannot even guess that this twist is coming, honestly. Uh, And this was one year before Dahmer was arrested for the murders of several gay men, and a lot of them had also been dismembered in Wisconsin. Earlier this year, an LAPD detective actually reached out to the show to discuss the case with them, and I think it was probably to hear more about this eyewitness who had never spoken to police before. I did not actually listen to the podcast episodes, full disclosure. I just read about them. (laughs) Yeah, as far as I could tell, there were no publicly named suspects and not even, like, that many realistic theories. Other than the Jeffrey Dahmer one, I also saw just a brief mention on Reddit that maybe he had been to a casting call for an adult film that had actually turned out to be a snuff film. Which basically means a movie that shows a person being actually murdered or killing themselves. Others theorized that he may have been a victim of a jilted lover, a closeted gay man who had hated him for being an out gay man, or maybe someone he had had sex with was in a position of power and didn't want anyone to find out about Billy. You know, as I was typing this too, I was like, a lot of people like to blame gay people's deaths on other gay people, don't they? Yep. Every single theory was like, oh, it was an angry gay person who had sex with him. And I'm like, dang, it, you guys are like obsessed with gay sex. <laughs> and yeah, that's basically all that's known about Billy's case.
1: Yeah.
0: Unfortunately, it does not seem like it's really being actively investigated at this moment. It's basically all the theories that I read came from Reddit instead of actual fucking articles.
1: Damn. But
0: I know hopefully someday soon they do, like, get pointed in the right direction. I think it is a good sign that the LAPD reached out to this podcast. And hopefully that actually ends up going somewhere. And we can get some answers because it's been so, so long. It's been 30 years. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that was a shorter story. Sorry, I just thought it was, like, crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. <laughs> I know. But, uh, yeah, thank you all for uh, listening to our pride saga saga saga. <laughs> saga. <laughs> that sounds, like, weird. That reminds me of saggy boobs.
1: Yeah, that's literally what I am going to say. Saggy titties. I was
0: like, I'm not wearing a
1: bra, Saga. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah uh it's been a a not so fun month but that's fine (laughs) i'm glad that we could bring attention to a lot of these cases because a lot of the cases we mentioned also were not solved
1: yeah or not talked about enough or not talked about enough at
0: all real dude but uh yeah anything else you'd like to add brandle stay safe stay safe out there everyone do not go to casting calls with mysterious people because they're <laughs> snuff films, which I never even fucking thought of that as an idea, and I was like, oh my god. But uh, yeah, if you would like to email us any of your personal stories or just to say hello, our email is thespookyshit.pod at gmail.com. Our Twitter and Instagram are spookyshit underscore pod, and our website is spookyshit-pod.com. Um, you can rate us on Apple Podcasts and write us a review. That'd be really cool. And you could also check out on our merch, our merch on Teespring, which I think is now just called Spring. I have the link for that included everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, thank you all for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.